Tell my brother and sister I miss them most I bless them each day with the Son and Holy Ghost I thank you, Lord, for letting me be set free I may run with the devil I may run with the devil I may run with the devil But he's never catching up to me Good morning, good morning, good morning. Little Bart Crow kicking things off for us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your weekend with me. Man, it is a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. Duck season is in full swing. The whitetail rut is heating up. If they're not chasing already, they will be very soon. I always look at November 15th as kind of that magical day in uh, my part of the world anyway. Uh, so that's going on. We've got quail season. We've got fall turkey, if you're interested in that. I've seen some uh, Thanksgiving Day, future Thanksgiving Day meals hitting the ground here over the last week or two. Uh, what else? Obviously geese, sandhill cranes, pheasant for a lot of folks. It's truly the best time of the year, no doubt about that. Feral hogs shoot on sight, <laughs> as always. Uh, anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today so you know what to do by now pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old stanley thermos because we're ready to rock and roll and speaking of uh, feral hogs shooting them on sight we've got one of the most prolific feral hog assassins that i've ever come across set to join us in studio um, a friend to farmers and to landowners alike Rich Ishihara of Ultimate Night Vision will join us. They recently had a thermal hog hunt like they do every week. But this one, I mean, it set the bar when it comes to huge hogs. And let's be honest, a 400-pound feral hog is, is up there with, you know, Nessie and Bigfoot. People claim that they shoot them all the time. They never back it up with an actual scale. To get two in the same sounder? plus a couple more over 300 pounds, absolutely insane. But that's what they did. Now, I'm not sure if it's what these hogs were eating, if there are other extenuating circumstances as to why they got so girthy. But the video footage is incredible, and then the photo documentation. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in a dozen years of, of doing this. So thrilled to have Rich jump on the show. We'll also talk about some of the gear they use, uh, what thermals, calibers, bullet selection, all that good stuff coming up here with Rich in just a few minutes. Uh, then we'll spend uh, a little bit of time with RMEF, that's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Texas director Whitney Huddleston, and uh, Michael Falk, a uh, longtime member of RMEF Texas. We'll talk some elk hunting. Uh, also, what is it like trying to run a nonprofit in a pandemic where you can't really have in-person gatherings, whether it's Ducks Unlimited or RMEF or uh, Pheasants Forever. I mean, you name it, SCI. These money-making events have been canceled or postponed uh, to a large degree. I mean, some are still going on, but those are few and far between. And now with uh, COVID cases spiking once again, who knows what the future holds. These organizations, though, th they need funding to operate. Uh, and they need to operate because of all the wonderful things that they do in the conservation realm. So interesting stuff coming up with Whitney concerning uh, RMEF Texas and 
the hoops that these type of organizations are having to jump through due to the current state of affairs. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. Hogs and elk, two of my favorite things to pursue. Probably uh, the same goes for many of y'all as well. Uh, let's do um, let's do a quick giveaway. How about what do we what do we got today? Just looking around the studio here. How about a uh, a pack of Crimson Talon Broadheads? Three pack of uh, Broadheads. It's what I'm shooting this year. Absolutely wrecked my bear in New Mexico with them. Quick, clean, and easy. That's what you want. Uh, but uh, Crimson Talon three pack, and we'll throw in a Crimson Talon cap as well. Just email the word broadhead that's broadhead to lone star outdoor show at gmail.com and we'll get you entered into this week's giveaway um we're going to take a quick break coming up next ultimate night visions rich ishihara joins us right here in studio on sci's lone star outdoor show With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Andrew Delaney, love that tune. Uh, guitar playing kind, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by SCI. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys for tuning in. It is great to be here talking outdoors with you today as we're about to get into a hog hunting tale for the ages. Certainly the most insane thing that I've ever seen when it comes to 
actual hog hunting. And uh, Rich Ishihara of Ultimate Night Vision is here in the studio. Before we jump into things, though, with Rich, this segment is brought to you by SCI, an organization comprised of hunters just like you and I who are passionate about protecting our rights going forward, who are out there educating the masses on sustainable use hunting, and, of course, are also the biggest conservationists on the planet. And if you don't believe that, uh, just follow the money. They put their money where their mouth is time and time again. SCI, first for hunters. All right. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into it here with Rich from Ultimate Night Vision. Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for having me. Good to be on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So you made the trek up from Longview? Yes, sir. Was that like two hours, you think? Yeah, a little over two hours. Okay. Wasn't bad. Yeah. I've uh, spent some time in that part of the world, some some family friends, so very familiar with the Longview area. As far as a little bit about yourself, what is your job description with uh, Ultimate Night Vision? I don't know. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a title or anything. Uh, I've been there for about five years. Yeah. I think on my Facebook page, I think, I think I have chief product tester and hog hunter yeah. is my title. Okay. Well, I'm in Facebook jail, so I, I don't know what's going on with my page, but I think it was a, some some pro Trump thing or Second Amendment thing, and somebody reported it as offensive. Probably some snowflakes started melting. That makes sense. Yeah. I know a lot of people in Facebook jail. Well, it said three days, but that was like two weeks ago. They said, you're, you're banned for posting for three days, but now they don't offer any support or help. So, <laughs> Yeah, once the election's over, they'll probably let you out. Right, right. Um, so you've worked there for five years at Ultimate Night Vision. Yes, sir. So what is it you guys do exactly? I mean, most people probably just associate it with the great videos on, you know, YouTube and Instagram, but you, you actually have a a storefront and sell stuff. Yeah, that's, that's actually kind of funny because a lot of people, um, assume that we're, uh, outfitters and we guide hunts, but no, we actually, our business is selling and, and renting night vision and thermal optics and accessories. Yeah. Yeah. And so Tyler started, Ultimate Night Vision, how long ago? I think it was probably around 2013, maybe. Okay. So back in the day, he hooked me up with one of those external uh, mini-disc recording things that you used to have to, like, strap onto the, the butt of your rifle stock, you know? How we used to have to record thermal footage. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. still selling those. And really? Yeah. You still need them for some of the scopes, the Trigicon scopes and Envision and the ones that don't have onboard recording. Okay. Well, I, you know, I just had issues with those. Like sometimes you shoot and they just like fizzled out or didn't work. But uh, it's certainly like like the new Pulsar stuff. It's got the uh, internal recording. Uh, it's so much easier with yeah. re- internal recording. Absolutely. So you guys sell all that stuff. I always see our mutual friend Anthony uh, Amantine, and he's the one that got me hooked up with Tyler. He's always posting stuff about these like binos and sick looking optics is that stuff you guys do in-house yeah we do uh anthony actually builds all the night vision now we used to uh, send it send it to a builder well actually when i started it used to be me who built them Uh and then we had a builder and now anthony's building everything so he's building uh pvs 14s he's building binos and uh he's actually building our rover systems too 
And what is the rover system? The rover's the vehicle-mounted thermal that right. we have that goes okay. up on the roof, spins 360. Okay. So it's probably been eight or nine years ago uh, was the first time I ever experienced that. And the guy was using, like, a, a Wii controller to, like, control the, the video mount, mounted camera on top, the thermal. Um, and then back then, like, the drone, he also had a drone, but he had to pull out, like, a a suitcase the size of this desk um, with a, you know, it was like a huge monitor. I guess technology's come a long way since then. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, the Rover, yeah, the Rover's a real refined system now. I mean, it it started off as just something that um, uh, Tyler came up with at first. It was basically a, a go light that he put a thermal camera in and huh. now we have the whole system. Um, it still has a uh, Wii remote to control oh, it, it does? which works <laughs> That's insanely cool. well yeah so that hasn't changed That's yeah awesome. works works really well um but the drones too we just got a new drone the autel evo 2 dual uh -huh. thermal drone it's got a 8, 8k video camera and it's small it's about the size of a mavic oh, compared wow. to uh the older drones that we sold they were industrial drones and i mean they were huge they would take up an entire uh backseat in a truck <laughs> yeah. so That's it just good. wasn't really practical and now with the smaller drone get about 30 minutes of flight time. It's awesome. They work really good. You guys, like I said, have a great presence on YouTube and Instagram. Um, I live vicariously through your work. You know, it seems like you're hunting every week. Yeah, I go about once or twice a week. And how many guys, uh, how many hogs would you say you guys kill annually? Or do you even keep track of that? Uh, I've, I've kept track in the past. The uh -huh. past few years, it's been somewhere in the range of 600 to 700 this year i haven't been counting but i know we're pretty close to a thousand if not over the silver linings of COVID, huh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we've had more time plus uh we've picked up a lot more land to hunt and um gotten a lot more efficient in hunting them too so so do landowners ever call you guys and say hey come deal with this problem yeah, I, I get a bunch of people who contact me via word of mouth uh -huh. who have a hog problem. And um, the pro the problem is it's usually all at the same time. It seems like, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then a certain time of year, I may get like six calls in a week about yeah. people having hogs tearing up their, well, their pastures or their yards. Dictated by weather and when people can plant. And I assume they're all doing it relatively close to the same time, you know, if you're a farmer. Yeah, I mean, um, so that kind of makes sense. The the big the big farms that we hunt, I mean, we're pretty much out there all the time mm -hmm. and just hunting them year round. But a lot of a lot of people who it's just their house and their backyard or their front yard, um, even in uh, urban and suburban areas, who yeah. are having issues with them, they seem to come at, at certain times of the year. Huh. Okay. Um, so landowners do get in touch with you guys, uh, which, you know, I have a friends with uh, the three curl outfitter guys in, in Ellis County and they are an outfitter and they, you know, routine, routinely get landowners saying, please bring your hunters out here. And, you know, I just planted and hogs are decimating, you know, I, I don't know the dollar value, but when you think about the, the seed, the crop, the labor, the fuel, uh, the time that goes into planting a field, I mean, it's in the tens of thousands of dollars. Hogs can come in there and wipe that out in one night. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, so what area of Texas do you guys hunt primarily? 
Um, it's mostly, uh, I live in East Texas, so it's mostly places around there. Uh, we go up north a little bit, uh, pretty much anywhere on the Red River where there's uh, cropland. Yeah. There's a ton of hogs, so we try to just go where the hogs are. And in your experience, have you noticed a difference in the size of hogs based on what part of the state you're hunting? Or you guys also hunt in Oklahoma, too, but um, have you noticed any difference, or is it pretty much... You know, six one way, half a dozen the other. I think the hogs are definitely bigger um, where there's where there's a uh, a big food source like corn, soybeans, uh-huh. wheat, rice. Sure. So the actual size of feral hogs is something that's often exaggerated, even romanticized by media outlets and their uneducated consumers. Uh, stories come out of five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred pound hogs. Oh, Hogzilla, you know, is like the headline just to grab your attention. And then you look at the pictures and every time, Rich, it's looks like Wilbur from Charlotte's Web. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really hard to tell the weight of a pig from a picture. But I mean, if I mean, I mean, like the physical characteristics looks like it just got out of a barnyard. Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've I've seen some that are clearly uh, blue ribbon winners. Right. Um, And then a a lot of times you see hogs where uh, the weight is is claimed to be really high and there's there's no proof or documentation and just kind of based on on all the hogs that I've shot and weighed, you, you get a pretty good sense of about how big a hog is. And you know that feral hogs have a limit on how big that, that they get. You really, um, don't see many over 300 pounds. Right. Yeah. I think I've seen, I've seen two actually weighed, um, that went over 300 pounds. And that was up around Seymour, Texas, uh, with my friend Pavor Outdoors. He does thermal hog hunts, and uh, that's because they've got all of these um, feedlots. He hunts right next to all these feedlots. Well, there's all this excess grain, you know, everywhere. These hogs come in there into the feedlots at night and just chow down. So I've seen two big ones there that we actually weighed, and then I've stabbed one in Oklahoma that I'm, I'm pretty sure was over 300 pounds, but we didn't have a scale. So it's, you know, looked like a 300-pounder to me. So I have seen them on the hook. But very rare. Yeah, it's it's a lot more rare than people think. But everybody will say, oh, look at this 350-pound hog that I shot. Yeah, I <laughs> think... my buddy shot. My buddy shot. I think almost every landowner who I've talked to um, about a new property said they've seen a... There's a 400-pound hog out there that's walking around <laughs> right. that's, that looks looks the size of a cow. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times I've heard that. It's the same thing with mountain lions, uh, something that I've enjoyed hunting in the past. And people are like, look at this 250-pound mountain lion. No, they don't really get any bigger than 200 pounds. That's like the biggest that you'll – a big tom with a huge pumpkin head is going to be like maybe 200 pounds. 180 pounds is a giant mountain lion. Uh-huh. But you hear stories of 250, 300-pound mountain lion. Just not a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it probably happens uh, in any type of uh, fishing or hunting. Yeah. Fishing, fishing too. Yeah. So I think – let's do this. Let's – um. Let's take a quick break because I want to get into, now that we know a little bit about you and uh, Ultimate Night Vision, I want to get into this epic hunt that you guys had a couple weeks ago where Hogzilla really did exist times like four. 
So uh, are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by the Lone Star Beer, Das Beer, brand new German style Kolsch. It kind of tastes like fall in a can. It pairs well with any kind of venison sausage or bratwurst. Basically, it's football season. It's hunting season. The grill is hot and the beer is cold. It's the Das Beer from Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Coming up next, Hogzilla times four. All take dirt naps at the hands of Ultimate Night Vision on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Too much time trying to make the wrong one arrive. Hey, I've been trying to make the wrong one right. Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the coon stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the coon stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. We watched our friends grow up together And we saw them as they fell Some of them fell into heaven Some of them fell into hell Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. One of my favorites there from the Pogues. Rainy night in Soho. Thank you guys for being here as we are visiting with Ultimate Night Visions, Rich Ishihara, concerning what we're about to get into, the most epic hog hunting adventure I've ever heard of uh, when it comes to putting just massive amounts of bacon on the ground, on one singular hunt, in one field. <laughs> I'm just going to let Rich explain it. It's it's absurd. We're about to hear all about it. Uh, this segment of the presentation brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. I've got the Thermion XP50 on my 6.5 Creedmoor. Got the Helion 2.0 as well. As far as a thermal monocular goes, there's none better. I know Rich was using Pulsar on this hunt uh, as well. We'll find out what unit uh, is his favorite in just a second. And here's the best part. Pulsar offers 20% off all of their thermal and night vision monoculars when you use my promo code LONESTAR underscore PL at PulsarNV.com. That's LONESTAR underscore PL. With that being said, uh, Rich, thanks for sticking around, man. Certainly appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, we talked a little bit about, like, realistically, 300 pounds is a giant feral hog, right? Right. So that they don't make them much bigger than that. What is, 
What was, before this hunt, the largest feral hog that you guys had actually weighed? So uh, we, we started um, weighing them, I think, either last year, maybe, maybe the year before. And um, like, like I said, we probably shoot at least six or 700 hogs a year. Yeah. Um, up until 2020, uh, we had only weighed one hog that was over 300 pounds. Oh, and wow. it was it was a monster. It happened to be a huge one. It was three eighty nine. Goodness um, gracious! It was a massive hog. But yeah, I mean, it's it's rare. I mean, even all those hogs, and y'all only ever weighed one that was over three hundred. Yeah, and well, we, you that was you've only been weighing them for two years, right? So there but, might have been some three hundred pounders in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm sitting here saying I've weighed I've seen two that were weighed over three hundred. Now they were barely. I'm talking like three hundred five. I think one was three hundred seven. And then the one that I stabbed in Oklahoma, who I don't know what it weighed. Could have yeah, been. there, there's a few that I can think of that probably would have went 300 if we actually had a scale and weighed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also we used to take do the tape measure uh, method and yeah. do them that way. So had I'd say a handful that were over 300 based on the tape measure method. Yeah, 389 though. That's a giant. Yeah, it's it was huge. Is that a boar? It was a big boar. Yeah, up in Oklahoma. Wow, wow. Okay. So let's talk about the gear that y'all use, uh, starting with the thermals. Y'all, I think for this hunt, we're using Thermion, uh, Pulsar Thermions. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, the Pulsar Thermion XG50, the new one, uh-huh. 640, 12 micron. Okay. So you've got, the, you've got the fancier one than me. I've just got the XP50. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the XP50 also. Uh-huh. I mean, for hog hunting, that might actually be a better scope, but the, it's nice to have an option for a little more uh, base magnification. Sure. And what kind of uh, rifle platform and caliber are you guys pairing that with? Uh, right now, we're I'm mostly using 762 by 39 AR. Uh, it's a PWS. Mm-hmm. That's something that uh, Anthony put me onto. It's a great rifle. I mean, that thing is insanely reliable. It's accurate. It's it's been awesome. But um, prior to that, I used to use just six eight, which is an awesome round. But due to ammo cost and availability, seven six two by thirty nine is just hard to beat right now. What grain bullet? A uh, hundred and twenty two grain hollow point. Okay. Yep, just Tula steel case. So I, I don't know. I, I've had such terrible luck with the two two three over the years that I find. I, so I have three or four ARs, but three of them are two two threes, and I have one that's a two two four Valkyrie. Um, I've just found that shooting them with those small caliber bullets just that travel so fast, like puts pinholes in the hogs. You can head shoot the first one, right? Because you walk up to them if you're thermal hunting, which is what we're talking about. Walk up to them within 50 yards, 30 yards sometimes, depending on the wind. Always get the first one down. And you just ear hole it. And then it's just like spraying as everything's running. I'm sure you're a much better shot than me because you do it all the time. But I know I'm hitting these hogs, but I never find them. Yeah. I mean, you can, especially if you're using suppressor, you can hear the impact if you hit. So yeah. you, you know whether you're shooting well and you know whether the people beside you are shooting well usually or at least when you uh, review the video. But yeah, um, the first shot, you could probably use any caliber. Uh, yeah. If you have good shot placement, they're going to go down. But once they start running, it's helpful to have something bigger that will uh, um, just have that. Knock yeah, have a power. little more energy. Yeah. Yeah, 55 grain bullets just didn't, I mean, not doing it once they're on the move. 
and you're just people are like why did and this has happened with coyotes too i've had i've posted video on social media and they're like why did you make such a terrible shot were you trying to shoot it in the ass and i was like no, I was trying to shoot it in the coyote. <laughs> like, yeah, he was running, and I was trying to shoot it. I didn't care what you know. I was just trying to get it, put a bullet in it. You know, right? Yeah, uh, and um, on on social media, when people watch the videos, it's a it's a whole nother thing. I mean, if you don't if you don't drop that animal right there on the spot, DRT, somebody's yeah. gonna say you're a terrible shooter. Right. Right. So. Exactly. Um, okay, so that's the equipment. Let's get into that day, that evening. Um, so you guys headed up to somewhere around um, the Red River? Yeah, that's up. It's not really near anything, I'd say, probably. Uh, it's in uh, Red River County, uh-huh. kind of in the middle of nowhere. But it's on it's on the Red River. Uh, it's, uh, it's a ranch and a farm. So they raise cattle there and they're growing crops. So, so most of your hunting is in ag fields? Um, yeah, I mean, probably 50-50. Like a lot of places that have uh, pastures and bottomland and then... Um, a lot of places that are crop fields just depends on the time of year. Like, yeah. you know, we love like late summer when, after they cut the corn mm-hmm. or when they plant the soybeans, stuff like that is just kind of like, that's like hog the playoffs. Crack. That's yeah. like the playoffs <laughs> for hog hunting. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, it's just, you know, ranches and, and other prop, smaller properties and stuff like that. We're hitting, uh, hitting all sorts of smaller properties on a little circuit. Yeah. So had you guys killed some big pigs on this property before? Yeah, I think so. I had said prior to 2020, we'd only killed or only weighed one pig that was over 300 this year. And it was mainly on that property. We had killed six over 300. One was on a different property, um, but in in kind of in this, the same area. Um, what's that? The, these 300 pounders were in previous years. No, that was this year. So, yeah, so we actually had six this year up until last Thursday. So, yeah, we were shooting a lot of larger pigs. Oh, wait. So, okay. So, back it up for me. I thought the biggest one that you guys had weighed was 389, right? Right. And then you, but you had had other 300 pounders this year. Yeah. So, okay. prior to 2020, only one. And then in 2020, we had uh, six, which was a, before this hunt. You had six. Yeah, before oh, wow. this hunt. So, that was a big increase. Yeah. And then this hunt. We end up killing five over three hundred, yeah, which is insane. Uh, when you're when you're looking at these hogs, and I encourage people to go watch the video if they haven't on your uh, Instagram or YouTube. But if you're looking at these hogs through the thermal, could you tell from how far away you were that like these were giant pigs? We actually did not know how big they were until we walked up on them. And it's kind of funny because it was a group of seven pigs and four out of those seven were over 300 pounds. So yeah. it's all, it's kind of relative. Right. So right. we're looking through the thermal and we see these four big pigs and these three regular size pigs. But so it just seems like four regular size pigs and three Small. juveniles. Right. <laughs> so we yeah, we we didn't know. All seven pigs died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got seven for seven, which I, I joke that. Um, it sounds impressive, but when you're shooting a six foot blimp, it's pretty easy to hit them. So (laughs) how far away were you guys? Um, I think we stocked up to maybe 50 or 60 yards. Okay. Um, one thing that was cool that I I wanted to ask you about for anyone else out there that is is interested in this kind of videography, this was like at 10 PM at night. 
yet you have video footage and it looks like it's barely dusk. Right. Yeah. Um, that's pretty neat. Uh, I used to hate hunting on a full moon because it's, it's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pigs can see you. Uh, but since I got this camera, it's a Nikon Z6 uh-huh. has a really good low light sensor. Um, and a fast lens, an f1.4 lens. Anytime it's a full moon or close to a full moon, I bring that out and get some footage that way. And it looks like, yeah, it looks like daytime at night. Yeah, which I mean, is like pretty neat. Maybe the sun is just starting to go down. It's awesome footage. Uh, and then you just you set that up on the on a tripod, and then you're still shooting. So you're setting up the camera just kind of in the direction of the hogs. Right. Yeah. So you we'll, want to give up that trigger time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if we have enough shooters um, in the group especially friends who I know who shoot well, yeah. then I'll just say, okay, y'all shoot and I'll video. Um, but you know, if it's just a couple of us, then I'll usually shoot, set up the tripod and hope that it's pointing in the right direction. Uh huh. Okay. So you guys knock down all seven out of this group, you get up to them and like, what's your reaction when you walk up onto these things? We were, we were just beside ourselves. I think Esty and my buddy who was with me, um, he saw the big pig first and he was literally jumping up and down because <laughs> I was looking at one of the small ones and, uh, he's tapping me on the shoulder and jumping up and down, like just going insane. And I look and I mean, it's, this hog is humongous. And then we walk up to the next hog, same thing, almost as big and the next one and the next one. And we were just, we were, we were elated. We couldn't believe it. So the two big ones were actually bar hogs. The big, right. They're all big. The biggest ones. Yeah. So they were, they were bar hogs. And I guess for people, most people who listen to this show probably know, but they've, they've been cut. So I don't know what their history was. Maybe we can assume that they were caught by hog doggers and then. Yeah. Possibly cut. hog doggers or maybe somebody trapped a bunch of them and, and cut all the males. I don't, I don't know. But for a future hog tournament. I mean, there's, that's really why they do it is that they know these hogs are going to get bigger uh, if they don't have all that testosterone you know, flowing through their body. Um, they're not going to be fighting. So they're, I mean, it makes sense. You're going to live longer. You're not going to be into as much conflict and you're going to get fat and happy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't have all those, uh, those weaknesses that yeah. some of those other hogs have that ends up getting them killed. I guess it's, it's the same thing with the deer during the rut. Right. Um, but yeah, I think people do it. I think without the testosterone, they're supposed they have a much higher fat content. Mm-hmm. They get really big, and they're supposed to be good eating. Yeah, we don't generally eat them, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean that is the other thing. That's why people say, "Hey, I'd, I'll eat a and I'll smoke a hundred and fifty pound sow, but I have no interest in a two hundred fifty pound boar." This is you know they smell bad and they got all that testosterone running through their system. I will say I've eaten them. You know, if you cook them right, it's they're edible. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's not like I'm turning my nose up to it, but there are people that do. Yeah, so. but I mean, a lot of times with hogs, you're gonna have a choice. You can pick which one to eat and and which one to leave. So right. if you're if you're gonna um, cut some back straps or ham, hams out, you might as well pick one that looks clean, smells right. clean, and uh, yeah, probably has a lot of fat content. Absolutely, and you know, on this show, it's no secret I don't. I don't knock people that let feral hogs lay. They are an invasive nuisance, and and that's what they are. Uh, Are they fun to hunt? Absolutely. You make a living, you know, uh, off of that resource. And, shoot, I mean, who doesn't like to go feral hog hunting? Yeah, Uh, it's a blast. Yeah. So it's kind of like this love-hate relationship. Um, I think more so if you're a landowner. For you and I, 
I, I like having them around. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's tough for landowners. It's good for us, but I right. understand. I mean, when you see the damage that they cause, I, I mean, it's bad. So we mm-hmm. feel good anytime we can get a big pile and uh, eliminate a few off of a property. We feel good about it. Yeah. And, we, and we've talked about this recently. I had the three curl guys here in studio and uh, also Craig from Heli Hunter. And we kind of got into the issues why people can't donate feral hogs to like hunters for the hungry or food bank. And it's, you know, they carry uh, trichinosis, brucellosis. Uh, and so if you're going to donate them, they have to be brought in alive. Uh, unlike, well, say, a white-tailed deer where you can donate those all day long. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean... The way, the condition that a lot of the hogs are when we shoot them, I mean, a lot of them are gut shot, shot multiple times, and they ride around in the truck in yeah. 90 degree heat for eight hours. So I can understand why right. why that would not be safe right. to donate. Well, and I think transparency is important, you know, like we're, we're just calling it like it is. This is what happens. This is a service to the landowner. And, and at the end of the day, it's fun for us. So here's the interesting question because I shot a... I would say like 220 pound sow last week with my seven year old son. And I was telling you, I put out this big and J attractant. The feeder had been inactive for a month and here come all 30 hogs. And we're sitting there watching the world series and my stealth cam app just starts going blowing up. I'm like, Henry, do you see these? He's like, get your thermal. Let's go dad. And so he actually got to hold the, uh, the helium, the monocular and watch it all. That was his first time to ever like be on the hunt with a thermal, and I and I was using the thermian. Shoot this hog, and there was no way I could get the damn thing in the back of the ATV by myself. Like I just couldn't, you know. So I ended up getting a tow rope. I always have a tow rope, and drug it away from the feeder. Uh, What? How did you guys get these into the back of the truck? Um, Yeah. So when when we walked up on them and we saw how big they were, I think it was it was I think. 10 30 p.m and my we back would start yeah. hurting just looking at them yeah i mean we we knew so we usually hunt until daylight pretty much uh-huh. and it was 10 30 p.m so the night had pretty much just started we said that's it we're calling it for the night uh we went back uh grabbed the tractor we weren't even going to attempt to move them so uh, Estian got the tractor and he loaded them all in the back of my truck with the tractor with the list the landowner's tractor um Estian Estian farms that property so yeah so right on yeah they have all the equipment which is super super helpful for stuff like that Mm -hmm. for getting the weights too because you got to have somewhere where you can hoist them up so you can hoist them off of the uh the tractor yeah so typically if you don't have a tractor what do you guys do just drag them off leave them there or if we have a really big one we've just figure it out. Just manhandle it. Yeah, we've used we've actually used a combine before to uh-huh. lift one one a sow that we shot recently was three hundred and sixty six pounds. We strapped it to the combine header and <laughs> drove it out of the field that way. Wow. Um, yeah, we've used creative ways to get the the tailgate of my truck as low to the ground as possible right. and hoist it in. Uh, I have a winch on my truck, so actually earlier that night we shot a couple sows. One was 303 and one was uh, 273 we couldn't lift them they were muddy and it was just two of us so we i i took the winch cable put it over my truck and the roof rack and then we pulled them up that way okay with the winch yeah interesting so the actual weights on 
this group of hogs was? The biggest one was 437.8. Uh-huh. The second biggest was 431. And those were the two bar hogs. And then the rest were Goodness sows. Gracious. One sow was 349, 316, and 302 or 303. And then the 273. <laughs> the smallest just, one was 273. Yeah. When I could just imagine looking through the thermal, you're like, like you said, oh, these are maybe the big ones, like 250 pound hogs. Here's a hundred pound hog or whatever, you know. And, it, and you walk up, the smallest one's 273 pounds. Well, in that group, there there are actually three smaller hogs. They're probably 50 or 60 pounds oh. each. Uh, the 302 or 303 and 273 hogs were from a group that we shot earlier. Okay. Right on. Yeah. But so for, okay. For the evening, how how many pounds of pork was that? I think it was ten hogs total, and is about twenty four hundred pounds. Goodness gracious! Wow, I've never so I've never heard of a four hundred pound hog with a with a scale. Yeah, I I've only seen I only know of one personally. My buddy Keith McCoy, he shot a gigantic one down uh, near Madisonville. I think it was four forty three, wow. but I had never personally seen one over 400 so to get two in one night or two in the same group is crazy yeah i wonder what a biologist would say when you're talking about a group like that where there's four over 300 pounds two over 400 pounds why are they getting so big there i'm i'm curious too i mean it's yeah yeah it's kind of baffling to me i don't know if it's because you said you'll rifle through six seven hundred hogs a thousand probably this year Never come across this, you know, 400-pound hogs. And you've got two over 430, and the sows are in the 300s. I mean, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's got to be a combination of just abundant food and then something, probably some sort of genetic component, too, since we've shot so many large ones uh, on that property. Yeah. Something's going on. Very, very interesting and awesome, to say the least. So how have those videos uh, and pictures been received on social media? They're, they're doing well. They're getting shared a bunch, and uh-huh. that's always fun. Um, the, I guess the challenge is always getting people to share them from our page. Right. <laughs> we, shot, we shot a few other large ones uh, this year that made the rounds on the Internet, but it was other people who claimed they had shot it. Right. People from Australia, uh, other countries, and saying they shot this pig. It was actually one that Anthony shot. It was one that was, I think, 319 or something. Uh-huh. There's one post on Facebook, I think. Somebody somebody posted it, and I think it has 84,000 shares. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, our, our picture on our Ultimate Night Vision page, I, I don't know how many shares, but, I mean, it's not even a fraction of that. So, yeah. Yeah, they do well. Um, trying to figure out how to make sure that the traffic comes back to us, but yeah, it is what it is. Well, it's good for business, though. I mean, people see that and put two and two together. Ultimately, that you guys sell and rent thermal equipment, night vision equipment. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's worked out really well. I mean, it's I feel super fortunate to be in the position that I that I'm in that I pretty much just get to hunt all the time right and just upload videos and that brings in customers so that's uh-huh. great yeah um so if you want to give us website social media stuff where folks can follow along yeah our our website is uh www.ultimatenightvision.com all our social media is under ultimate night vision youtube channel ultimate night vision 
um, Instagram Ultimate Night Vision and Facebook Ultimate Night Vision. Okay. And last question: When you do keep a hog, what's your favorite way to to cook it? I would say I'm 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 not a cook. I'm not a connoisseur, but um, you know, just cut some back straps out and throw them on the trigger. Right on. Smoke them. Good deal. Well, Rich, I certainly appreciate it, man. Congrats on a hell of a hunt, and I look forward to seeing. I don't know if you'll ever top that one, but we'll see what is in store next for you guys. I don't know. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You betcha. There he goes. Rich Ishihara of Ultimate Night Vision. Great stuff there. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Henry and I are headed out to the Deer Lease this weekend, and we're going to be sitting in that big chingon as he tries to take his first whitetail, a doe, of course. I'm not letting him jump straight into buck territory. Nikki. Spoil a kid that way, right? You've got to earn your stripes. But we'll have plenty of room in the big chingon for snacks and a carpeted floor for when a noisy seven-year-old's moving around trying to see uh, all that there is to see in God's great outdoors. Uh, but, yeah, check it out. It's the big chingon. Perfect for introducing your kids, wife, girlfriend, whatever, a newbie to hunting. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Up next, we are joined by Whitney Huddleston and Mike Falk of RMEF Texas. That's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Texas. We do it next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Hey everybody, this is Bruce Robinson and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Good buddy Bruce Robinson bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for being here. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. You know, I look around the country and <laughs> these draconian lockdown 2.0 mandates that 
Democratic governors are handing out like chiclets. Uh, man, I I feel bad for the citizens of those states, especially the ones that voted the right way. But come on, you guys voted for this. Parents in New York City, again, your your schools are closed. How does that affect your your job situation? Oh, you probably can't go to work anyway because unless it's uh, an essential business, you're not working. My take is any business, any job that puts uh, food on the table, money in the bank, is an essential business. And Californians, your governor's out having a $500 piece of steak, nice filet mignon at the fanciest restaurant in California. And he's not wearing a mask, nor is he social distancing. But yet, you've got a 10 p.m. curfew every day statewide. (laughs) Wake up, people. You did this to yourselves. That crap better not happen in Texas. I think I think we've seen enough backlash. Hell, you know what the sad thing is? Is that people are starting to kill themselves over this pandemic. What it's done to careers, to bank accounts, to families. I know a hunting guide actually hunted with a couple times in uh, Jack County, a thermal hog hunting. This was 10 years ago and haven't talked to him. And, and since then, essentially... Uh, but another guy that used to guide with him, I ran into at a, a store the other day at Academy, uh, was getting the kids camo to take them on the girls on their first duck hunt and, uh, ran into a buddy and, and he was like, Hey, did you hear, I'm not going to say his name, but so-and-so committed suicide the other day. I mean, that's heartbreaking. He has a daughter that's a senior in high school, another daughter that's a sophomore in college and their dad. I mean, literally spiraled into a dark place because of what this pandemic has done to I mean, the lives of, of so many Americans. It's uh, it's affected me for sure, too. Uh, and I know it's affected all of you guys. And uh, God bless our kiddos. If they take our kiddos out of school again, I mean, it's child abuse. Kids don't need to be at home, locked indoors. It's absurd. And they're not even at risk anyway. Oh. <sighs> All right, rant over. Uh, but you guys did it to yourself, so figure it out next time. You can change things at the ballot box. Uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas, also with a location in San Antonio. Josh and Becky have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for a decade at least, probably longer. They do amazing work. On everything from whitetail bucks to trout and redfish, replicas, African safaris, and everything in between. When they hand you your trophy back, you're not looking at a trophy mount. You're looking at a piece of art that you're going to proudly display for the rest of your life. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Let's talk some elk. Probably my favorite thing to hunt. Uh, Toss up between that. And ducks with my old four-legged pal, Bell. But chasing bugles with a bow in hand through the mountains. Tell you what, if you haven't done it, you need to put it on the list. Uh, And so it's really no surprise that I would support the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And now RMEF Texas is supporting our show, which I am extremely excited about. And so without further ado, let's bring on our next guest. We've got Army F Texas director Whitney Huddleston and also Michael Falk joining us now. Thanks for being here. Yeah, appreciate you having us. 
Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So, first of all, I'd like to welcome RMEF Texas as a new supporter of the show. I'm excited to be working with you as elk hunting and, and just an overall admiration and fascination with these animals is something that I obsess over more than any other species. Some nights I wake up like from a dream and I've just been thinking about bow hunting elk. So I don't really get that with other, other animals for whatever reason. Uh, so excited about that to say the least. And Whitney, you know, obviously we don't have real huntable elk herds in Texas. We have some out West, but they're all on private land. Um, and in fact, they're managed as exotics anyway, an invasive species, no regulations. If you can shoot yep. them with a spotlight, you know, whatever. But we do have thousands and thousands of elk hunters in Texas. And I don't know if you guys have any information on the, the number of elk hunters that head west or, or north out of the Lone Star State every year. Um, but I would think that we have probably as many elk hunters as just about any other state. Yeah, I think if you ask Colorado, I think most of the state hunters are from Texas. Yeah. 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 Um, I can tell you, you know, in terms of RMEF in Texas, we have almost 10,000 members. So those are people that are, you know, they're obviously into elk, into the mountains. Uh, they know who we are. They're, they're going to our events and they're involved with us. So, you know, that's a number right there, but. Um, I also feel like there's a ton that we haven't reached yet that are out there. So if there, if we have 10,000 that are oh actually gosh, members, yeah. then, you know, how many thousand do you think it is that are, that are going out West a lot? It's, it, you know, I, I'm a snow skier and I go out there a lot to just to be in the mountains. And I can't tell you um, how many people I meet that are like, Oh yeah, I live right by you or, I live in West Texas or wherever. So I think the mountains in general, they get a lot of Texas traffic and people see elk and it's, they're just so majestic. Um, yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons I got involved with army. I always thought they were so neat and just different than a lot of other game. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, you're not, you're not from Texas originally. No, uh, you know, originally from Wisconsin, moved to Texas. So probably about almost 30 years ago after uh, getting out of college. And so when did your obsession with elk begin? Well, you know, really, it actually started with my father. He, uh, you know, he'd go out west hunting every year, um, you know, starting, you know, probably back in the 60s. You know, I still see some old letters, you know, from outfitters. He wrote, you know, a wheat guided elk hunt, everything included was $250. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, so he'd tell the stories, you know, he'd, you know, every once in a while bring something home, you know, the antlers. Um, you know, just something that always kind of, uh, kind of drew me to it, but I really, um, you know, I got started with the Elk Foundation in 2002, kind of late, you know, kind of late in life, I guess, to that kind of game, but, um, and really didn't go on my first elk hunt until 2005. Um, but, um, it's something that I always wanted to do, but just never did. And then yeah. finally, uh, yeah, took the plunge and went and you know what, it's, it's been such a, uh, you know, a fascination and a draw that, uh, you know, I haven't missed a year since. Right. Right. Okay. So I think I've been every year since 2013 or 14, 2013 was my first elk hunt. Went solo into New Mexico, missed an elk, just totally disappointed. Uh, it had to leave the mountains like two days early because my feet got into just such bad shape, but 
I was chomping at the bit to go back and, and ended up getting one in that same unit the next year. So, you know, you got to pay your dues and especially on public land, um, which is something I'm, I'm very passionate about. Love spending time in our, our wild places that the three of us all own and all of our listeners own. Yep. Um, Whitney, let me ask you this. As far as heading up Army F Texas, how hard I mean, because there's so many unforeseen challenges that we're experiencing right now in this day mm-hmm. and age we're living in. But how hard is it trying to conduct, run a, a fundraising outfit during a, a COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, um, well, it's very, very difficult uh, for uh-huh. obvious reasons. So my primary function is to host fundraising events. They're in person people that's difficult to do virtually. It's kind of like any of us that have a job right now that most of our meetings are over zoom. It's more difficult than face to face. You don't come across the same way and everyone is getting hit by everybody right now in the same way. So, you know, I, I follow other places that do stuff that's, you know, conservation related. We're all doing the same thing right now. So, um, you don't, you don't want to fatigue people. You don't want to be um, sending them stuff all day, every day, trying to keep engaged with them. But at the same time, it's trying to find that balance where you're also not falling out of touch with folks that see every year and want to follow you and, and know what you're doing. And it, it you know, we have to keep rolling somehow. So it's yeah. been a challenge and it's going to be honestly, um, even if a vaccine comes out and I won't go too much into all that, but even if, things start to get better it's going to take a while um to go back to you know what we know and what works for us it's it's difficult for sure right right well still though these conservation entities uh, armia ducks unlimited you know the list goes on and on they depend on those in-person banquets uh, absolutely to essentially you know fund operations uh, yes it's a huge part of our budget. Yeah. Absolutely. So so are are you still doing banquets currently? Yes. Um, So our bigger cities, most of them, um, some of them squeezed in and got an event, you know, January, February, before it really got bad here in Texas. Uh Um, But, you know, especially the bigger cities, most of them either canceled their banquet or moved stuff online. We now have capabilities of doing online auctions, online raffles, um, and you are able to do that legally in Texas. Uh, some people don't know that, but uh, we are running stuff mostly online in the bigger areas that are harder hit. Um, I've had, actually, one of the reasons I was hired was to start forming some new chapters and uh-huh. in some of the cities up north that haven't had one in a long time so i have brand new chapters up in lubbock amarillo canadian abilene san angelo fort worth um and all of them are having events in 2020 some of them are still coming up that um even though we're in the pandemic and even though they can't have a huge full-blown banquet we've still got 60 70 people in the room and we're still you know making a profit it's it's not what it would be in another year, but we're still operating and we're still, you know, I'm getting calls all the time. People that 
2020 has made them realize, yeah, you know what? I want to get involved with stuff I'm passionate about. I want to make sure that we're even able to hunt in the future, you know? Right. So, you know, I get those calls probably more frequently than I would have in another year, which is a positive aspect of the whole thing. People are becoming more aware that potentially our kids generation, you know, isn't going to be able to do the things that we grew up doing and, and they want to fight to make sure that that stuff has a future. So. Okay. So how many chapters do we currently have in Texas? Um, I think we're right around 20 chapters. Well, that's great. Um, I mean, like we said, because here's a state void of, of elk hunting full of elk yep. hunters that are yep. willing to support the initiative, even though I don't want to say they don't have any skin in the game because we all travel out of state to, to chase these critters. Yeah. Uh, but here locally, yeah, we, we just don't have elk. So, um, that's certainly a positive thing to see sportsmen, uh, stepping up to, to support something they're, they're passionate about. Um, Absolutely. Now, Mike, I understand you just got back from an elk hunt. I did. I just, uh, went to the Northwest corner of Colorado and was able to experience like the coldest weather ever. <laughs> I've seen I've seen lots of pictures of just uh, major snowstorms, snowfall. I mean, October was was bad. No, uh, it was it was cold, you know. But sometimes uh, that coldest weather can make some of the best uh, the best hunting. And and for me, it did. You know, I, I've gone quite a few years, you know, being unsuccessful. And you know, my wife's kind of accused me of going camping instead of hunting. And you know, <laughs> you know for the most part, she was right because um, that's what it turned into but uh you know had a good year this year colorado is where you typically go yeah you know i've uh typically colorado just because of the ease of getting the tags you know for the most part you know i'm a yeah. public land hunter you know that's you know one of the big things the elk foundation one of their big tenants is improving you know access to uh to public land you know they've increased um you know by 1.2 million acres for the public to hunt yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of it's in, you know, Colorado, New Mexico, Colorado, Montana. Um, I, I tend to like Colorado. It's kind of close. And, uh, you know, I just love being up there, especially, you know, archery season in the fall. That's, uh, you know, that's hard to beat. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Colorado just shot themselves in the foot as far as uh, conservation is concerned by letting the general population vote to dump wolves into the uh, Colorado Rockies absolutely mind-blowing despite what scientists and biologists told them hey don't do this this is a terrible idea now nah, now nah. we smoked ourselves retarded and uh, we're gonna do it anyway yeah, yeah. If, you, if you talk to the uh you know talk to a lot of the landowners the outfitters you know um there was a reason they got rid of wolves at one point in time and you know almost to the person you know they're not in favor of that but it's yeah politicians in a different place that uh um yeah. A lot of times we'll, you know, drive some of those initiatives. Well, Denver and Boulder ultimately will determine the fate of, of the elk population. And, and the sad thing is, is those people probably never get out and even ex experience or see elk. You know, it's uh, you voting from your, your cubicle. And, you know, when what really should happen is the paid wildlife biologists should be the yeah. ones making the decision. But, okay. Um so did you, you didn't end up getting an elk, Mike? You just went camping? Oh, actually, you know, actually I got a greedy this year. I, uh, I applied uh, and, and drew a cow tag. Uh -huh. And then uh, the unit uh, that I hunted in, I was able to also get an over-the-counter bull tag. 
And uh, so I had big dreams going in of what I'd do with all that elk, you know, all that elk make when I got back and um, was actually able to fill each tag. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And this was a archery or rifle hunt? This one, this one, well, they say my archery hunts have been pretty unsuccessful. And uh, as I said, my wife was starting to give me a hard time about it. So uh, this, this was a rifle hunt. So interestingly enough, I've never hunted elk outside of September during the rut. I'm, I'm sure it's a totally different ball game, you know, come October. Were, were they still bugling when you were there? No, no, everything was, uh, everything was silent. So it was basically, I guess you'd call it a, a spot and stalk. Um, you know, on the West Slope, there's a lot of uh, uh, sage and oak brush. And so, uh, yeah, you'd kind of set up, you'd spot, you know, you may see something, you know, a half mile away and, you know, do a, by the time you kind of loop around and play the wind and, you know, you may end up walking four or five miles before you get to the, the spot where you can, watching over the hill. I've certainly seen that play out too many times over the years. Uh, We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Whitney, I want to get into what RMEF does with those dollars raised. I know there's tons of projects that you guys are invested in, which all benefit elk and elk habitat. Uh, So let's tackle that next. This segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making anymore, but Lone Star Ag Credit can help make that dream a reality for you. For more info, check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from RMEF Texas on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. the trail meets the sky And live like you ain't afraid to die And don't be scared Just enjoy your ride Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This is Randy Newberg with Federal Premium's Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Thanks for listening to the Lone Outdoor TV show. <laughs> Radio show. Yeah, just the Lone Star Outdoor show. The bull elk bugles ring Their sounds fill the canyons Just like they're trying to sing Fall winds blow in winter And the snow's falling deep It's time Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Ridgefire, the name of that one from uh, Dave Watson Thank you guys for being here today As we are talking... Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation with Whitney Huddleston and Michael Falk. We're going to get back into that conversation. 
momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. I've been putting this stuff out at my lease in Clay County. Let me tell you, the video and photos that I'm getting of deer just flocking to well, basically all of their stuff that I'm using to die for, uh, Big and J Squared, and then Big and J Cubes. I mean, they can't get enough of it. It's like crack form. Check it out. Uh, you can find Big and J online. You can find it at Walmart. It's everywhere. Uh, Big and J Whitetail Attractants. All right, uh, Whitney, Mike, thanks for sticking around. I want to transition now into the on-the-ground work from a conservation perspective that REMEF is doing. And then also talk a little bit about the history of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Uh, we part- partner with a lot of folks. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that people don't realize about us. We're at, we're a pretty large nonprofit. We've been in existence for about 35 years at this point, And we've done over 12,000 projects across the nation. Um, so we're opening up lands. We're working with state and, and you know, national authorities uh, to get projects done and most of them are are real in support of what we're doing and we're working with landowners as well um so it's it's a lot and and we are pretty big we're doing a lot of projects every year and those elk restoration projects i think we have eight states at this point that we've been doing that in um yeah so it's it's pretty big and and it's exciting when you start reading about it we uh we have a ton of information on our website and, and we have a, a marketing team up there that does a great job shooting videos and telling stories all across the country about reintroductions and things that we're doing. Um, that was one of the things that definitely attracted me when I applied for this job about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a good job of storytelling and our volunteers are huge too. There's over 12,000 of them currently. Um, we just started out, it was four dudes up in Montana that, um, they just came together and they were like, there's, there's the Turkey, there's all these other, um, uh, you know, foundations out there that are fundraising. No one's doing anything for elk. So we went from that and 30 years later, you know, we have 236,000 members across the nation and we're doing thousands of projects per year, including in Texas, which is, which is awesome. There's a ton of states that are completely non-elk. I mean, we have chapters in florida of all places so uh-huh. it's kind of cool that we're able to do those things even for people um you know that don't live anywhere near where elk are what do you think is the most pressing issue or concern for armia here in 2020 honestly i think there is a lot of opposition out there in this day and age that um it's changed so much just since I was growing up and I'm in my early thirties. Um, it's scary to the point that I'm afraid that, um, our lands aren't going to be taken care of, that we're not going to get out there and, and be able to enjoy open spaces and that we're not going to be able to hunt because there's people that for some reason, I don't even think a lot of them know why, um, they're against it. Uh, and you just, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you just didn't hear of that. So now there's there's a large amount of people out there that don't don't believe in hunting and don't think it's important. And, and we've got to make sure that those things are funded and that it is a priority so that we can get out there and, and do the stuff that we love, you know? Absolutely. 
that and you know and just access you know as we know in texas you know 98 percent of the land is private mm -hmm. and you know and, and that lands you know they're not making any more of it and and that public land seem to be disappearing every year so you know, i think you know with what whitney was saying and then just access you know to get out there right right well as we're kind of wrapping things up here um mike i, I did want to ask you is there a specific unit that uh, is like on your, your bucket list that you've been trying to build points for in any state? Like I, I basically apply New Mexico. I, I get points in Colorado, although you can still do the over counter, but you know, you can build points in certain units. Uh, certainly Utah, Montana and Wyoming. The one I don't do is Arizona because they basically wanted me to give them my right arm. Every time, you know, you, apply, you have to buy the stinking license. It's like two or $300. I did it once, and I was like, you know what? I'm I could pay for an outfitted hunt. By the time twenty years later, I actually draw that tag. Uh, so, is there one you've been doing this longer than me? Is there one that you've been eyeballing, or maybe you've already drawn your dream your dream tag? No, have not drawn it yet. I, I'm kind of eyeballing two. One's in Wyoming, and and they're not too bad. You can get a preference point for fifty dollars a year. Right. Um, but there's a, you know, kind of a, they call it one of the most remote hunts in the lower 48. It's a two day horseback, you know, trip in. Oh, wow. um, it's kind of off the southeast uh, corner of Yellowstone. Um, they still have some elk there. Um, and the other one, probably Colorado, you know, there's some units you know, in the Northwest. I think it's unit two. I mean, I, I would never be able to get enough points as a non-resident to draw that. But, uh, yeah. but what I'm kind of saving for is unit 76. Right on. Well, I'm still hoping to draw the Gila someday yeah. in New Mexico, but everyone else is as well. So um, we keep our fingers crossed and and keep hoping. But I certainly appreciate both of y'all's time today. Um, like I said, really excited to to be working with RMEF here in Texas. So many elk hunters and the ones who are passionate about elk that aren't involved with RMEF. Uh, like Whitney said, 20 plus chapters, more popping up all the time. So uh, where's what's the best resource, Whitney, um, where folks can, can get plugged in? Um, honestly, if, if they want to pick up the phone and call me, I love that. Uh, but I'm, I'm everywhere. They can email me, whuddleston at rmef.org. They can call me. They can find us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're plugged in everywhere. And even if they contact our headquarters, um, they can plug anyone into Texas as well and get them in contact with me. And I will say, lastly, um, you know, there's chapters that I've formed in the past couple of months with, with places that I have two or three volunteers. Uh, some of these committees are just starting out and people don't know where to start. I think a lot of times it, it's easy. Um, I'll work with anybody. I'm excited to get to know other people that are interested in the outdoors and conservation. So if you're in an area that maybe there isn't a chapter yet, you know, contact me. I'd love to talk with you. And, and we don't need a big group to, to do some fundraising and get some people together. Uh, there's plenty of good things to come even in this uh, crazy moment in time. So basically you'll hold somebody's hand if they, because it is kind of um, daunting or maybe it seems a little bit overwhelming to just say, Hey, I want to start a chapter and, and raise some money for, for elk conservation. 
Um, Absolutely. We just had a, a fundraiser at Fort Worth at Billy Bob's with about three people on the committee. Um, with all, all of them have full-time jobs and most of them have small children like me and we were able to raise almost $20,000 one night. Nice. So, you know, that's, that's incredible. Awesome. Indeed. Well, Whitney, Mike, thank you guys so much for your time. I look forward to continuing to spread the good word about all the things that RMEF is doing here in the Lone Star state. Uh, thanks again. And I look forward to our next visit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. So there they go, Whitney Huddleston, RMEF Texas Director, and Michael Falk as well. Appreciate them jumping on. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. That segment brought to you by John X Safaris. Uh, thanks to all of our guests, uh, Whitney, Michael, and Rich Ishihara of Ultimate Night Vision. We will do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Grave digger, when you dig my grave, would you make it shallow so I can feel the rain? Grave digger.